Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Yeah, good. Good, good, good. So it's Christmas, right? Anybody excited about that? Yeah, I love this time of year. Some of you are like, we've been doing this for a month already, you know? It's like, y'all just catching up. It's okay. Uh, it's good. Listen, we're really glad that you're here this morning, and I'm glad to get to spend this time with you as we kick off our Advent uh, series. You know, Advent, if you're not familiar with it, uh, the word means arrival. It's a, a time of the year where we look uh, back to the first Advent, the, the arrival of Jesus at his birth and, uh, and, and celebrate that. But then we also look ahead um, at uh, and for his second coming, his promised second coming. And so it's just a season where we really want to draw close to him um, in the midst of just uh, all the different things that this season has to offer to us. And this year, our theme for Advent is, is uh, bringing shalom to chaos. So shalom is a Hebrew word, if you're not familiar with it, uh, that means peace. But it's, it's this idea of wholeness, this idea of, of kind of this completeness. And so, you know, you don't have to look very far at life, at our world, to realize that we live in some chaotic times. Um, and life is full of chaotic times. We live in a broken world as broken people. And so uh, there are many times where maybe you feel like life is not as it should be. Um, and you're probably correct. Um, and in those times, it's easy to get overwhelmed um, and, and lose track of that shalom and that peace that God wants us to find in Jesus Christ. Well, this season, what we want to do is look at the four themes of Advent um, and look at it from the perspective of how do we find peace and shalom in this chaos of, the, of life in this world, um, specifically in these different themes. And so today we're going to begin uh, with the theme of Advent hope. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and pull that out. Um, there's one in the, the seat under, underneath you or in front of you as well to Luke chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 22. So Luke chapter 2 starting in verse 22. But you know, one of the things I love about this season um, is I love watching Christmas movies. Uh, any Christmas movie fans out there? Okay, some of you guys. Here's what I want you to do. Uh, hopefully, either you know the person you came with or you just met the person uh, during our meet and greet time. But look to somebody next to you and just tell them, hey, my favorite Christmas movie is, and then let them know. Let them know what it is. All right, it's not a conversation, it's a word. <laughs> I'm just saying. So you're like, you know, you're given the whole plot. Um, I got a limited amount of time. I'm not supposed to go long today. So, uh, no, I'm just kidding. But first service, just the same way. I, mean, I guess y'all y'all ready to talk to somebody. I don't know. Maybe you're like, family's gone, so I need to just talk to normal people. I, you know, I don't know where you're at. But um, how many of you guys had the same, the same favorite movie as the person next to you? A couple of you, right? Okay. Uh, well, so my favorite Christmas movie, if I was just going to pick one, is Home Alone. Any Home Alone fans out there? First service, I was booed for saying that. I'm like, it's not a competition. It was, it's my personal preference, favorite, right? So my favorite Christmas movie is Home Alone. But one thing I've noticed about Christmas movies in general is they all tend to have a very similar storyline, a very similar plot. 
Um, it, it goes something like this. Uh, you have um, a, a person or a group of people and, and the holiday season, Christmas season is approaching and they have certain hopes, expectations, dreams about what's gonna happen during this Christmas season. And everything's off to an okay start um, until something unexpected happens and chaos ensues, right? Um, and so it is, you know, things start going crazy and then the rest of the movie is really focused around the, the resolution of that chaos or sometimes just trying to survive that chaos and keeping somewhat of a positive Christmas spirit in that, right? And I started thinking about that because I really do think, I mean, I'm not, you know, if I were to guess, 90% of Christmas movies are going to have that similar plot. And so why do so many Christmas movies have that similar type of plot, storyline, and circumstance? And why does it speak to us so much? Because I think it, it in some ways exaggerates this, this feeling of chaos and this lack of peace that, that we want to desperately find, especially in this season of Christmas. And I think there's something about it where you're like, you know, I feel like I'm there with this person in some way, albeit though their situations are often exaggerated to maybe what we face. But we all find ourselves facing difficult, challenging times. We have expectations, we have certain dreams, we have certain hopes, and then something happens and chaos ensues. And you know, the reality is, is that Home Alone uh, is, is a movie that follows that, that, that similar plot line. Uh, in case you haven't seen uh, the movie, um, the, the story centers around uh, the McAllister family, uh, specifically Kevin, who is their youngest son, who according to his own words, uh, tends to get into a little bit of mischief. Okay, and so um, it's the night before they all leave or plan to leave for uh, Paris, France uh, to go visit family um, in Paris. And so not only do you have the McAllisters there, but you have Uncle Frank and his family there. And so you have all these like 12 kids, all these different people around. And so it begins pretty chaotic anyway. But the goal is if we can just get on the plane and we can get there, we're gonna have this great Christmas. Well, they all go to bed. It's kind of crazy. Storm comes through, knocks the power out. So you can imagine what happens. They wake up late. The, the car service is there to get them to the airport. They have to rush around. So they all rush to get on the buses, uh, the vans. They all get to the airport. They all get to the plane. The plane takes off. And then about, you know, halfway into the, the, the trip or something, the mom realizes that they forgot something. They forgot Kevin right? And so Kevin is now home alone. And at this, at this point, this is where home alone becomes very deep in its plot development. Because you have two, that was a joke, by the way, you have two kind of subplots develop. You have this subplot of Kevin at home alone and these two thieves, um, Harry and Marv, they're trying to steal stuff in the house. And you have this whole subplot. But then you have this other subplot of the mom, Kevin's mom, desperately trying to get back home to her son who's left home alone. Now, I want to focus on the mom part of the story because, you know, it's like one of those things because it's chaos. Every step she tries to take, every flight she tries to get, there's always an obstacle coming. So if you know the story, she gets to a certain place and she gets to Scranton, Pennsylvania, and she finds herself stuck and has this really interesting conversation with the ticket agent at the counter. So you guys watch this clip. Everything's full. Everything's full. I'm very sorry, but it is Christmas Eve. What about another hour? 
Nothing available. May I help you get a hotel room in the city? Tomorrow afternoon we can get you a flight to Chicago. I can't wait that long. I'm terribly sorry, ma'am, but we're doing absolutely everything we can. I am trying to get home to my eight-year-old son. And now that I'm this close, you're telling me it's hopeless. Oh, I'm sorry. No! No, 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 wait! This is Christmas! The season of perpetual hope! Right? So she finds herself exasperated and then just cries out, this is Christmas. It's the season of perpetual hope. And as you know, hope comes in the form of John Candy, the poker player, right? And so it all works out in the end. But, you know, as I was, I was studying, I was thinking about this theme of hope and that, that line came to mind. Now, I guarantee you that John Hughes and the writing team and all that kind of stuff did not write that line to make a spiritual point. But I think it's a really good point to make. She says in her desperation, in that moment, but it's Christmas. It's a season of perpetual hope. There's so much truth to that line. And as we focus today on on this idea of hope, we really are focusing on what, what I would call perpetual hope. It's, it's a hope that never ceases. It's a hope that always continues into eternity. And it's a hope that, that can bring peace to our life, even in the midst of the chaos and difficulty we may be facing. And so what I want to do today is I want to look at a, a story in the life of Jesus around the birth, it's actually after the birth of Jesus, where Jesus and Mary and Joseph have an encounter with two different people, two different people that were waiting in hope. And their encounter, I think, really gives us a, a picture of four realities to Advent hope that we need to grab hold of today that I think can help us in whatever we're going through, find peace in the midst of chaos. So a couple things before we read this passage. Number one is, as we talk about hope, what are we talking about? Let's get some definitions out there. Well, according to the dictionary, hope is a feeling of expectation or a desire for a certain thing to happen. It's a feeling of expectation or desire for a certain thing to happen. So you're looking towards something. You're looking for something. And you have this desire or expectation there. Now, the, the, the word that the Bible uses to talk about hope is, is a little bit different. It gives this connotation not just of an expectation, but of a confident expectation. That there's, there, there's confidence behind what we are hoping in. And when I talk about this idea of Advent hope, I want us to focus specifically around the hope that we find and we see in the birth of Jesus. In his first coming. And we see how that affects our lives. So stand with me, if you will. Luke chapter 2, we're going to read our main text today. Um, we have a, a, just a thing we do here at the end of our main text reading. We say the phrase, the very words, together out loud to distinguish God's word from my own. And so we're going to read 22 through 38 uh, this morning. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him, talking about Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. 
Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence for all peoples, a life of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him, and Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and the sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Verse 36, And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up to that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Have a seat. So here's the context. Uh, Jesus has been born, right? So the shepherds, the angels, manger, all that stuff already, already occurred, already been taken care of. This is probably about 40 days or so after Jesus was born. And his parents are bringing him to the temple um, as is required by, by the law of God, by the Old Testament law of the Torah. And as they go to the temple, they have an encounter with two people, a man named Simeon and a woman named Anna. And I I believe there's really four realities of Advent hope, of hope that we see in the coming of Jesus, that we can see and learn from this encounter with these two people and the baby Jesus. So if you're taking notes, write these down. First one is this, is Advent hope is a hope promised. It's a hope promised. That the birth of Jesus was promised and prophesied by God in the Old Testament. So it tells of Simeon. And here's what it says about him in verse 25 and 26. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So a couple things about Simeon. He was a faithful follower of God. It says he was righteous and devout, that the Holy Spirit was upon him. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. It's another way of saying he was waiting for the promised Messiah, the king of kings who was to come that the Old Testament prophets had said was coming. So he was waiting for the Messiah, and he believed that the Holy Spirit told him that he would not die until he saw the Messiah with his very own eyes. So he was a man that was waiting on hope that had been promised. And then there's a woman named Anna. Verse 36 and 37 says that she was a prophetess, meaning that she was close to God. She would speak God's truth to others, and she was the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years, and when she was a virgin, from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting and praying night and day. So she too was really devout, 
really close to God, practicing her faith with such devotion that she would rarely leave the temple. Anytime she could be there, she was there, she was fasting, and she was praying, and she too was waiting for the Messiah to come. So we see that these two had a hope in the promises of God, the prophecies of God. Two different people who yet put their hope in a hope that had been promised to them. Hope that, that they found in promises like Isaiah 52, 9 and 10, where the prophet Isaiah says, break forth together into singing. You waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of the nations and all the, earth, all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. So they believed in a hope that had been promised. They believed in what was to come. The Messiah was coming. They believed in promises like Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, and then in 6 through 7. Part of this is what uh, the Cochran was read earlier in lighting the candle. It says that the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, has, on, them a, on them a light has shone. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. They were waiting on a hope that was promised. They were committed to a hope that was promised. They knew the hope that was promised in the coming of the Messiah. So it begs the question, do we know the promises of God that we have been called to hope in? Do we understand what God has promised to do? Do we know what God's word has said? Because Advent hope is a hope that is promised. And the promises that we have heard from God, that we know of God, can help bring us peace in the midst of chaos. But not only do we find the hope around the birth of Jesus being a hope that is promised, we also see it as a hope that's fulfilled. It's a hope that's fulfilled. So Luke tells us that the identity of Jesus as the promised Messiah, the one who was to come, is confirmed both by Simeon and Anna. So they both confirm that not only did they trust in the promises of God, but that in Jesus they saw and found the fulfillment of those promises. Look back at Simeon's story in chapter 2, verse 27 through 32. It says, As, and, he came into, and he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he, Simeon, took him, Jesus, up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence for all the people a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So Simeon is led by the Holy Spirit to the temple at the same time that Mary, Joseph, and baby Jesus are coming to the temple and they have a divine encounter. Simeon takes the baby and holds him up to God and declares that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises of the Messiah, the one who is to come. 
But not only does he say, here's his identity, this is who he is, he also talks about the purpose of Jesus, the purpose of the Messiah, that that he would come as a light of revelation for the Gentiles, which were the non-Jews, and for the people of Israel, that he has come to bring salvation, hope, rescue, and comfort to all people. And so we see in the story of Jesus, it's not just a hope that was given, a hope that was promised. We see in Jesus, it was a hope that was fulfilled, that the promises of God were fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Anna does a similar thing in verse 38. It says that coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak of him, talking about Jesus to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, we don't know specifically what she was saying, but that she was speaking to others who were also hoping in the promises of the one who was to come. See, both found the fulfillment of God's promises in the person of Jesus. And that brought them hope. It it, it made their hope something that was worth hoping in. And so here's, here's my question for, for us in, in this moment. Number one, do we know the promises of God? But two, do we know how God has fulfilled promises through the story of the birth of Jesus? See, Jesus has come to fulfill not only promises revolving around his birth, but all promises revolving around the Messiah that we find in Scripture. Matthew 5, 17, Jesus says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And then we don't have time to read it today, but if you go back to Matthew chapter one and the story around the birth of Jesus, not only was Jesus' birth a fulfillment, but all the details in the story of Jesus's birth were part of the fulfillment of God's promises of the Messiah. Everything from Mary being a virgin and Jesus being born in Bethlehem and all these different things point to Jesus as the Advent hope fulfilled. And Matthew even says that all of these things took place to fulfill what the prophets of old had said. So see, in the Advent story of Jesus, in this hope, we have a hope that was promised and we have a hope that was fulfilled. But we also have a hope that is for us today. So it's one thing to look back and say, hey, great for Simeon, great for Anna, right? That they had hope in the promises of the Messiah that was to come. They believed in him. That gave a peace in their life. And then they saw that promise fulfilled. But here's the thing. The hope that was promised and the hope that was fulfilled also allows us to find hope today in our circumstances, in our chaos, in our trouble, right? It's not just about what was and what was to come. It is about how we can live today and the peace that we can find today. Look back at Simeon's story and and, and what his reaction was when he saw the hope promised now fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Look at verse or chapter two, verse 28 through 32. It says, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. See, he had had an angst in his life 
about will God reveal the Messiah to me as I believe he has promised me. And when he saw the promise and the hope fulfilled, it brought him peace. See, there's something even in, even in our life today where we see God's promises fulfilled in the person of Jesus and in our life that help us find peace in the midst of our own uncertainty, in the midst of our own chaos. He, he was at peace in that. We see that, that, that Anna, in the same way, began to share with other people who also were hoping in this. And the assumption is that in doing so, they found peace in that situation because here's the thing. They were living in a time where they faced their own challenges and difficulty. They were waiting for what was to come. And until that day, it had not fully arrived. But they found a hope that was promised, a hope that was fulfilled, and it gave them hope for today. Well, so how does a hope promised and hope fulfilled bring us hope and bring us peace for our life? Well, a couple of specific ways. Number one, it reminds us that God is faithful. It reminds us that as we see God's faithfulness in this story, that God is still faithful today in our story, in our time. Look what the writer says in Lamentations 3, 22 through 23. It says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. So great is your faithfulness. When we see the Advent hope promised and fulfilled, we have hope today because God is faithful. We also have hope because we're reminded that God is not only faithful, but God is powerful. See, it's one thing to make a promise. It's another thing to be able to fulfill that promise. So let's say that, that one of you today are, are having some, uh, some financial challenges. And so you come to me and you say, Zach, I'm really, I'm really struggling. I'm really upset. Like, you know, I, I've lost my job or I've, uh, my hours have been cut or I've had some expenses. And, and I'm really just struggling to find peace in, in my financial situation. And I looked at you and, and I said, okay, well, listen, let me help you out. Um, I'm going to give you uh, $100,000. Or better yet, you know what, I'm going to give you a million dollars. Now, if you didn't know me, maybe for a minute, you would have some hope. <laughs> but if you did, you would honestly look at me and say, that's not helpful. You'd probably just walk away, to be honest with you. You probably wouldn't say anything. But like in your mind, you'd be going, okay, that promise doesn't bring hope because unless something is different about you that I don't know, you don't have the capacity to do that. And I don't. So it's one thing to say, I have hope in promises. But does the person making the promise have the power and ability to actually deliver? We're reminded that not only God is, that God is faithful, but that God has the power to fulfill the promises that he has given to us. And we're reminded of that in this story and the birth of Jesus. A couple, couple verses in Job 42, 1 through 2. If you know the story of Job, Job found his life in a lot of chaos. And one of the things he said in the midst of that, when he was talking to the Lord, it says this, that Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things. 
and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. What gave hope, what gave Job hope in that situation was he believed in the person of God and his ability to do the things he said he could do. Look at the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 32, 17. It says, ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. See, we have hope in a promise given and a promise fulfilled because we know that God is faithful and God is able. But we also can know this, that God's way is perfect. Because here's where the, 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 the challenge comes, if we're being honest. It's one thing to, to know God is faithful. It's one thing to know God has the power. But it's, it's hard at times to apply that to the situation we face in life when we're going, okay, God, I know those things, but what I'm not seeing is you doing those things in this moment the way that I want you to. Or your timing is not my timing. And that's when it's hard to cling to that hope. But part of what we see is that God's plan is perfect. The how, the when, and the why, all of that is perfect. In Psalm 1830, the psalmist says, this God, his way is perfect. Not only does God have the faithfulness to deliver, the power to deliver, but God knows the best way to deliver on the promises that he's given to us. But it's challenging at times when that way is not our way. That's maybe where you find yourself today. You know the hope has been promised. You know the hope has been fulfilled in Jesus. You know you should have hope today, but you're struggling because of the how, the when, and the why. My prayer is that we would all be reminded today that God is faithful, God is powerful, and God is right in his way. But see, even Simeon, like, he understood that. Because look back at Luke 2, 33 through 35. See, the, the, the way that Jesus has the power to give us peace in the midst of difficulty is, is that Jesus himself stepped into the difficulty of this world. See, Jesus suffered. Jesus struggled. Jesus left the, the, the perfection and the peace of heaven, and he came into a world in chaos. And Simeon says, listen, this is the Messiah, but his way and his road is not going to be easy. Look what he says. He says, verse uh, 33, 35, his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, meaning this, is that he is going to create division and he's going to face opposition. It's part of what's going to happen by him fulfilling his purpose. And then he goes on to say, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. He says, listen, they're celebrating the Messiah, their son, Jesus, and Simeon says, but guess what's gonna happen? It's gonna be a hard life. It's gonna be a challenging time. And he says to Mary, your own soul will be pierced 
as you see your son suffer. See, I think so often we equate hope and peace with the removal of difficulty and challenge. And that's not always how it works. God's greater promise and the hope for today is that he is faithful. It's that he is powerful. It's that his plans are perfect and that he promises to be with us. That's the hope we have for today. But not only do we have hope promised, hope fulfilled, hope for today, we also have hope for what is to come. We have hope for what is to come. I was thinking about the, the old hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. When I was thinking about the faithfulness of God and how it gives us hope and peace in our life, there's a line that says this, that the faithfulness of God says, says strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. See, the promises of God, they give us strength for today, but they also give us hope for what's to come, for tomorrow. Because the promises were given, they were fulfilled, we have hope in the promises that are still to come. See, every promise that God has not fulfilled yet will be fulfilled one day. Why? Because God fulfills his promises. Again, maybe not the way we think, maybe not the, the timing that we would, we would hope for, but that's the reality we have. And so some of the chaos we feel at times is in the uncertainty of what's to come. But the reality is, is that Advent hope reminds us that God has taken care of that as well. And we don't have to worry about what is to come. That Jesus has already taken care of that too. Look at John 14, one through three on the screen. His disciples, his closest followers were concerned about what happens when he said he's gonna leave them here. Well, what's gonna happen and what's to come? And, and here, Jesus says this to him. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you will be also. Jesus was saying, listen, yes, I'm leaving. I came, I arrived, I did my thing, and I'm returning to the Father, but don't fear about what's to come because I'm coming back. And for those of you who follow me, who trust me as your Lord and Savior, guess what? I've taken care of what's to come. And when I come back, I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna take you with me. And Revelation tells us he's gonna take us to a place where all things are made new, where we can finally get out of the chaos and live in perfect peace and perfect shalom for all eternity with him. See, the Advent season reminds us of a hope that was fulfilled, that had been promised, a hope that gives us peace today and can give us peace in what is to come. So the question I have for all of us is this. 
If that's true, where are you placing your hope? Where are you placing your hope? Simeon and Anna placed their hope in a God who was faithful to fulfill his promises in the birth of Jesus. And that same God is asking of us to trust me and trust my son Jesus to put your stock, your hope in who we are, to trust me and my son as your Lord, as your Savior, to give ourselves to him. And if we will do that, that same Advent hope can be hope for today, for tomorrow, hope for whatever we're going through, even if the circumstances don't change at all. And we too can find peace in the midst of chaos. Where are you placing your hope? Do you have that Advent hope and peace in your life today? Let's pray together. Father, we come to you in this moment so grateful for the Advent, the coming of Jesus. We're so grateful for the type of hope that we have because of that. That we have a hope that was promised, a hope that was fulfilled in him, a hope that God was for today, but also for what's to come. And God, I know in my own life and the lives of so many of us in this broken world full of broken people, including us, that God, sometimes our lives are full of chaos. They're full of difficulty. They're full of challenge, and we struggle to find peace. And so, God, would you remind us today, God, that true hope is found in you. It's found in your son, Jesus. And that hope can help bring shalom to the chaos of our lives. So, God, if we've never put our faith and trust in your son, Jesus, if we've never given control of our life over to you, I pray, God, that today we would do that. Maybe, God, we just need in a specific circumstance or situation, we need the reassurance of your spirit, God, in us that you're faithful, you're powerful, your plans are perfect, and you're with us. Maybe today we just need to pray and be prayed for whatever we're going through. Whatever the response is, God, we allow you time in these moments to do it and help us to be obedient. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.